Welcome to the Erickson Covenant Church Podcast. We're happy that you would join us for today's teaching. As a church, we're passionate about helping people find and follow Jesus, no matter who they are or where they are from. If you have any questions about Jesus, the church, or the teaching you're hearing today, please don't hesitate to contact us online at ericksoncovenant.ca. And now, let's listen to this week's teaching. I know it's summer. I know it's hit and miss. I know those of us who call Erickson Covenant home, you've missed probably a number of things this summer or this last few months as we've gone through this series. Uh, maybe you're a guest here and you're just catching up and and uh, I just want to acknowledge that. We've been going through the Sermon on the Mount for months now. And uh, did that sound bad? No. We're going through the Sermon on the Mount for months where it really showcases Jesus as our master teacher. And it's been incredible. Uh, in fact, thanks Jody. Oh look. Um, he just delivered, Jesus just delivered uh, one of the greatest messages of all time. And he's really outlined a vision for what this new covenant kingdom of God really looks like. With tremendous clarity, Jesus has detailed the kind of lives that his followers are to lead. And it's actually not what people expected. Jesus overturned a ton of assumptions about who's blessed and who's not, what it means to be God's people, how we are to respond to others, in particular even our enemies or those who persecute us. Jesus deepened quite radically how we're to think of sin or judgment or the law, how we're to live in relationships with each other, how we're to practice uh, personal piety or acts of righteousness, they're called, things like giving or prayer or fasting. He sketched out a greater purpose for us, a greater purpose for kingdom living, a purpose which outstrips any lame vision of piling up financial wealth as well as outstripping the troubling experience we often have of stressful worry. Jesus explained how his people, contrary to public opinion and sometimes unfortunately experience, his people will not be judgmental hypocrites, but rather will be grace-filled helpers. And how his followers will actually follow this rule of love, doing to others as they would want to have done to them. And finding along the way all the grace and all the gifts they need from their good, good father. It's an incredible vision. Even people who don't follow Jesus, who don't acknowledge who he is, look at this teaching, this Sermon on the Mount, found here in the first of the Jesus stories in the New Testament, Matthew, three chapters long. They look at this teaching and they say, that's one of the high watermarks of all religious and ethical and moral teaching. Even people who don't follow Jesus say that. And we who do, those of us who say, I do follow Jesus, we find in the Sermon on the Mount an incredible vision for living. But this vision Jesus casts through his Sermon on the Mount, or as we've been calling it through the King's speech, it's actually given to explain something that's happening. It's like current events commentary. Because just a few verses before Jesus sits down to do this big King speech, just as he launches his public ministry of, of teaching and healing, He says, repent or turn around, face me, he says. For the kingdom of heaven, and he doesn't mean by heaven some far way of place you go where you die. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the place where God reigns, God's rule. The kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God has come near. Well, what does that even mean? This next picture is going to show you just an illustration of what it means to repent. 
The stormtrooper is facing the other way. Don't we wish more of them would have repented, turned, faced the other way? Any Star Wars fans at all? (laughs) What is the kingdom of heaven like? I mean, what does that even mean to be part of this kingdom? Well, that's what Jesus sits down to explain in this famous mountain speech. And we've been at it for months And if you have missed bits, or maybe this is unfamiliar to you, this teaching, because you're new to faith, or new to the church, or new to the Bible, I encourage you to take some time and read through it. It actually doesn't take very long. It's three chapters, as I already mentioned. Or maybe you've been tracking along with the teaching this summer, but you've missed some of it. I encourage you to catch up online, ericksoncovenant.ca, or through iTunes. You can subscribe and never miss a podcast. Boy, I sound like other podcasters I listen to. But now, Jesus is wrapping up his king's speech. He's covered a lot of ground, talked about a lot of different things, but like any good teacher, Jesus refuses to allow his vision to remain theoretical. He sums up his whole teaching with the famous golden rule, which Peter touched on very briefly last week, where he says, so in everything, do to others as you would have them do to you. It sums up the law and the prophets. Law and prophets meaning all of the Old Testament, everything Moses said, everything the prophets said, everything the historical books lay out, all that is summed up here. Do to others as you would have them do to you. In other words, Jesus, he's summarizing, he's like, okay, I want to summarize everything I've said in these three chapters, which in fact summarizes everything God has ever said. And says, here it is. Do to others as you would have them do unto you. Or as C.S. Lewis likes to put it, do as you would be done by. I like that. Do as you would be done by. Treat others how you want to be treated. Love like you want to be loved. And notice the emphasis here is not on a theory. It's not on a grand idea. It's not on some, you know, reflection point. It's on action. It's on doing something. Not theory. But practice. Well, with everything summed up, Jesus now, here at the end, says to everyone who's listening, that's the people surrounding him on the hill that day, that's the people who've been traveling through this series, and that's all of you sitting here right now. Jesus says, it's time to choose. It's time to make your choice. He refuses to let us off the hook with some nice classroom discussion, which is what we all want, Right? My best friend John and I, back in our Bible school days, we'd love to distract the teacher. Good teachers. I feel so bad for them now. We'd love to derail them. You know, class is getting a bit boring, a little stuffy, like it is in here right now. Why am I wearing a sweater in July, you wonder? Get a bit stuffy, and so we'd love to derail the teacher with questions that would like, class would uproar, and then it was very difficult for the teacher to get through the learning outcomes by the end of classroom. Tennille hated that. It was before we were together, and I, I, she says she hated it, but maybe it was one of the attractive qualities she liked about me. <laughs> oh, there must have been something else. Well, Jesus wouldn't have let us get away with that. He wouldn't have. He doesn't seem interested in a bunch of nuanced questions or theoretical answers that would allow us to hold his words at arm's length. To like, oh, you know, I need to think about that a little more. I need to mull on it a bit more. You know, I really have some serious questions, but it allows us to hold his words at arm's length and do nothing. Jesus won't let us do that. He says, no, you've got to make your choice. Are you going to act or are you going to stall? Are you going to obey or are you going to turn away? And he makes the options here at the end very stark. This is what he says in verse 13 and 14 of Matthew chapter 7. 
After summing everything up, he says, Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life and only a few find it. Two gates, two roads, two different destinations and one important choice. Now, within Christian history and particularly if you've traveled in evangelical circles, this has been an image very popularized. This contrasting image of two gates, two roads, two different definitions. Destination, sorry. But unfortunately, instead of keeping this challenge that Jesus gives here within the context of his kingdom teaching, where it serves as an important conclusion to everything he's just said, we've tended to rip it out of its context and apply it to one particular decision. Basically, do you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Do you, do you believe the way he did on the cross was for you? Or do you reject his offer of salvation? Now, just to be clear, I think that's an important question. What we think of Jesus is crucial. There are times in our lives when who Jesus is comes into clear focus, and we realize we've got to choose. We've got to, do I trust Jesus? I've worked through the facts about his life and his resurrection, and I realize I've got to, I've got to actually decide, am I going to believe and follow this guy? Some of you can remember when that was true for you. Some of you don't because you grew up believing and trusting in Jesus and, and that's just been true for you. And others of you are still wrestling with it because you're not sure yet whether Jesus is trustworthy enough. You haven't maybe explored enough or you've been avoiding the question or whatever, but you're not ready to make that decision. But all of us, there will come a time or has been a time when that question was important, is important. But here, in this context, when Jesus commands his listeners to enter the narrow gate, he's not asking them to receive him as their savior. He's asking them if they'll obey him as their Lord. He's asking them if they will allow him or if they will commit to him as their leader. In fact, he's kind of saying, show me what you think about me by acting upon what I've said to you. These two gates contrast two ways of living. One in obedience to his teaching and one in rejection of it. And Jesus is very realistic about the odds. (laughs) He says, you know, not many will actually choose this. With good reason. It's difficult. It's countercultural. It leaves you open to being misunderstood and maligned and rejected, mocked, misunderstood. It really is the road less traveled by. But not because it's confusing or difficult to understand. I mean, if you read back through the Sermon on the Mount, or if you've been traveling with us these last number of months, you think through the teaching of Jesus, very little of it is difficult to understand intellectually. Okay, there's, you know, the odd thing here and there, but really, truly, it's not that hard to understand. Hard to live, though. In fact, some of it, very difficult to live. Which is why, Jesus says, many people won't even go there. It's too tough. It's too hard. Or as the a wonderful Catholic writer, G.K. Chesterton, he said, it's not as though Christianity has been tried and found wanting. It's been left untried, or it's been found difficult and left untried. I'll say that again because I screwed it up. Christianity has been tried and found wanting. hasn't been tried and found wanting. It's been found difficult and left untried. The broad way, that's the untried way, as it were, the easy path, the default road. That's normal living with ourselves in the driver's seat. So what does this mean, this gate business, in the context of Jesus' teaching? Simply this, the narrow way equals doing what Jesus said. 
And we can expand that out to mean doing what he said all through the New Testament. But in particular, he's talking about these three chapters. He's talking about what he just said here on the mountain. The broad way is don't do what Jesus says. The narrow way is the way of Jesus, the way of loving our enemies, the way of praying, like really praying for those who persecute us or even persecute others that we love. The way of Jesus is turning the other cheek. It's keeping your word when it's difficult. It's letting the Holy Spirit into our lives to surgically remove the murderous or adulterous thoughts that are in us. It's about giving and praying and fasting, not because you want to look good in the eyes of others, but because you want to get close to the one who loves you. You want to receive God's pleasure. The narrow way is the way of trust, where we locate our true treasure in God's rust-free kingdom. Where we refuse to chase down dreams of grand houses or vacations or comfort or ease, because we actually trust that the Father has a plan, not only for us, but for the church and for the world, that outstrips any lame vision. We can live this life following Jesus with full trust in his eternal values, which have impact for today. And friends, people don't often choose that gate because it really does run against the grain. It's demanding. It's hard. It's difficult. It takes a toll on you. It hurts. In fact, the truth is that narrow gate, choosing to follow the way of Jesus, choosing to do what he said, it can lead us to places that look an awful lot like the suffering and crucifixion of Jesus himself. The broad way, the easy road, the one that everyone is just prancing down, but ultimately leads to destruction. The broad way says, you don't really need to change anything in your life. God really just loves you the way you are. Oh, that's true. But then the second part is, I mean, he'd never ask you to change anything. What kind of God would do that? Or, or you certainly don't need to love those who mistreat you. I mean, you don't want to reward bad behavior. <laughs> that's the broad way. We can respect Jesus as a great teacher, but come on, this is not really practical in the 21st century. That's the broad way. Two gates lead, two ways of living. Jesus says one leads to life and one to death. And it's really important to understand that it's not as though God is hiding the narrow gate. It's not, the, it's not as though he's shielding people so they don't find it, you know? God isn't trying to keep people from the narrow gate. He's doing everything possible so people can find it. He sent his own son to make the way back to the Father possible, back to the transformed life, back to his original intent. And then God sends other people who've experienced his goodness out to tell others so they can discover all that God has for them. God wants everyone to find life. The problem is us. But we don't want to go God's ways because, frankly, it'll force us to abandon our own. We've spent long, hard hours learning how to walk down that broad path. Right? A lot of investment here. So all my friends are here. What will they say? What will they think? The broad road that leads to destruction, it's not God's rejection of us. It's our rejection of God. God instead is doing everything possible through Jesus, by the Holy Spirit, through the church to get people off the highway to hell and moving into his new life path. That's God's desire. And it all hangs on our choice and our willingness to follow Jesus, to do what he said, to live the way he's called us to live. The truth is, it's very easy for us to say, I believe in Jesus. I mean, everyone says that. Well, not everyone, but you know, lots of people around here. It's hard to actually do what Jesus says. It's easy to say, love your enemy, 
It's actually kind of hard to love the person who's hell-bent on your destruction. Be that an individual relationship or an imagined larger group of people. It's easy to say, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. It's very hard to put that into practice in the ground when you're feeling used or ignored. It's easy to say, judge not, lest you be judged. It's very hard to give grace to the idiot. People do stupid things, right? I was very judgmental toward a driver this week. Were you? I'm out there driving with Micah. we got an L in the back of the car, people. An L! You know what that stands for? Anyone? Yeah, thank you. And probably other words. Anyway, so we're driving down the highway. And three vehicles driven by young men with white plates and red lettering. I don't know where that's from. (laughs) I'm from Alberta too. Okay, come on. Fly, two of them fly past us. And then the other van, he can't get past us because a learner is driving. But we're on a place you can't pass. And so he's weaving behind us from like here to Keith away. I'm not kidding. So friends, I got a, I got a little confession to make to you. I got mad. It, you know, this is my son driving. He's learning how to drive. And he's not very good at it. And I'm in the passenger seat. So there's life and death on the line. So anyway, I haul myself out of the, the window that was open. And I lean over and I'm going like this behind him. And Mike is getting worried because he thinks I'm going to start a fight with Albertans. But I was raised in Alberta too. But anyway, okay. Loving your enemies. Loving your enemies. Okay. So I was very judgmental. I did not love my enemies on that day. I had to ask, you know, confess. Here we go. And ask forgiveness for the way I felt toward those people. Very hard to offer grace to people who drive that way. But Jesus is relentless here. He doesn't give it up. He says to us all, live my way and you'll live. Don't and you won't. Live my way and you'll live. Don't and you won't. Can we say that together? Live my way and you'll live. Don't and you won't. He's actually really clear on this. And it's hard teaching and it doesn't sit comfortably with us because when we think of Jesus and his teaching, when you just broadly, when Jesus is such a wonderful teacher, what do you think of? He told us to love each other. Love. Oh, fluff, fluff. Come over here. I'll give you a pat. That's what we think of, right? Jesus' teaching is just so wonderful. But Jesus here is speaking truth into our lives. He's doing the most loving thing possible. He's telling us there's a road that leads to life and there's one that leads to death. I'm going to show you what it is and I'm going to tell you to get on it because there's only one that ultimately will lead you the way I want you to go. So loving, but so hard. Well, this stark contrast sets us up for the next warnings that Jesus gives. He kind of applies what he's saying to our life together, particularly as we're, we're, we're among others. It's particularly relevant to the church as it grew up and trying to discern like, okay, people claim to be following Jesus, but are they following Jesus? Not in a judgmental way, but like, can I trust them? In the kingdom way of God, in the life of the church, Jesus says there's two ways that we get fooled. First, we get fooled by what people say, and then we get fooled by what people do. Or more specifically, Jesus says, we get fooled by those who claim to speak God's words, and we get fooled by people who claim to do God's work. Listen to what Jesus says. He speaks about these two things. Verse 15. Watch out for false prophets, he said. They come to you in sheep's clothing. 
but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. How many can find the wolf? <laughs> oh, Photoshop. So from a wolf metaphor to a fruit metaphor, Jesus moves fast. He says, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. Every good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. He says that twice. Not everyone he says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on, on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Wow, so people have chosen to follow Jesus and they're into this narrow way. How do they know if those who also speak as though they're following Jesus and do these amazing things in the name of Jesus, how do we actually know that they're following Jesus too? Well, Jesus gives us clear guidance. He introduces the sniff test. Can we try it? You ever done that in the fridge? Open something up? The sniff test, right? Well, in this case, that's with fruit. So you, is that good fruit or bad fruit? Usually you know, if the flies haven't hit you in the nose in time, you can tell by the smell. Jesus introduces the sniff test. What kind of fruit do you smell? People who claim to speak God's words are evaluated by their actions. And what would those actions be? Their obedience to the kingdom teaching of Jesus. Do they live in the Jesus way? Jesus is saying, don't be fooled by what people say until you see what they do. People can say all the right things and not be obeying Jesus. Jesus cuts through all that and says, what's the fruit? You know who you can trust based on how they live their lives, not what they say about how you should live yours. It's actually a very interesting way of shifting the emphasis. In the Old Testament, prophets were, were measured basically, do their words line up with what God already said? Okay, that makes sense. And does what they predict come true? Well, in this case, the test is shifted to, do their lives line up to what Jesus has already said? And is what Jesus said coming true in their own lives? That's how you test. That's how you should evaluate me as a pastor. That's how you should evaluate Christian ministries and leaders. But do you remember that log spec thing from earlier? Yeah, got to apply that too. So we can be fooled by those who claim to speak for God. We need to look for obedience to Jesus' teaching. We need to look for fruit. But second, Jesus said, it's easy to be fooled by those who claim to do God's work. In particular, the kind of spectacular ministry that Jesus lists here. Miracles, exorcisms, prophecy. I mean, we look at that and we think, wow, hello. Obviously, they're from God. Look at the stuff they're doing. And Jesus says, baloney. That stuff can be faked. Don't be thrown by that. You need to look for fruit there too. And in this case, Jesus doesn't go for a metaphor of fruit. He says, are they doing the will of my Father? Like, on the ground. Are they doing the will? And what's that will? Well, it's the king's speech. It's what he's been talking about this whole time. It's the Sermon on the Mount. In other words, Jesus says, cut through all the smoke and lights, cut through all the show and spectacular, and ask, are they living the way my Father has told us to live through Jesus? Are they loving others? 
Are they serving? Are they obeying? Are they giving? Are they actually submitting their lives to Jesus himself and living the way he's called us to live? It's actually the same thing Paul fleshes out in Corinthians in his famous love chapter, which is sandwiched between two other chapters about spectacular ministry. Same thing going on there. These Corinthian Christians have got all caught up with all the spectacular, spectacular, and forgot that it actually comes down to love. It doesn't matter if you can cast out demons. It doesn't matter if you have big faith. It doesn't matter if you can command things to rise from the dead. It doesn't matter if you don't love. If you don't love, it's all trash. That's the heart. All the, all the, the spectacular stuff is nothing compared to love for others. And I think in a world of celebrity and performance, we need to get really clear on that. The showy, spectacular, amazing stuff, it just is not a litmus test for kingdom living. It not, it's not, it never has been, it never will be. In fact, what we discover is those things can be a mask for disobedience. Wolf in sheep's clothing. The broad way masquerading as the narrow path. Living out this Jesus vision in our daily relationships. Letting God lead our lives and change us from the inside out. That's God's kingdom at work. That's the Father's will in our lives. That's the narrow way that leads to life. Well, Jesus told them to choose. Explain and score how it's actionable obedience to his ways that matters. That's the fruit. That's the will. And then he moves to his final challenge. He shifts his analogies one more time to go for the finish. Verse 24 Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, what is he talking about when he says these words of mine? In particular, he's talking about the Sermon on the Mount. You can broaden that out rightfully to not only all that Jesus says, but all of Scripture, I get that. But in its context, he's talking about what he has just said. So we certainly can't get around that. Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, and yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. Anyone? Tiny house in the middle of nowhere? But it ain't going nowhere either. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice, being the key word, not to put them into practice. It's like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great... Everyone together, clap your hands all at once. Fell with a great... Oh, let's try that again. We're way uncoordinated. Fell with a great... Crash! It's another study in contrast. Jesus is doing this here at the end. He's really, he's really trying to write it down clear for us so that we understand. Two houses, two different foundations, two roads, two results. Destruction and life are set before us. And it's not simply the person who hears these words. Lots of people can hear the words. Lots of people can read the words. Lots of people can sit in church. It's not those who hear the words that make the difference. It's those who hear the words and put them into practice that are promised. They will live they will flourish. They will thrive. Action is required. Trouble is going to come, Jesus says. In fact, those who follow Jesus, you'll have even more trouble. More trouble is going to come because if you're obedient to Jesus, Jesus doesn't make light of that. But the promise is that your life, grounded on the teaching of Jesus, in particular, his teaching right here in these three chapters, a life grounded on that will result in a life that stands, a house that endures, a person who experiences life now and into the life to come. And that's where Jesus ends his whole sermon, with the sound of clashing waves and collapsing houses in the background. 
What do we do with that? I don't really have to make much of an application point, do I? I mean, hasn't Jesus sort of made it here? He's asking us, will we live his way? Jesus is saying, will you live my way? This is the way to life. Now, for those who follow Jesus, it could be that as we've been traveling through this King's speech, there's an area of your life that you've either been avoiding, ignoring, rationalizing, but you know, if you don't be honest, that the Holy Spirit is saying, that's it. That's where action is required. That's where I'm calling you to live. It could be that there's a particular area or maybe a whole suite of areas that God is calling you to respond, to repent, to turn around, to forsake your own way and follow him. Actionable obedience. Now, for those of us who are not ready yet to follow, we're still exploring who Jesus is. I'm thrilled that you make this church part of your life, even your home. But the challenge for you is you hear the teaching of Jesus and say, what about his teaching am I rejecting? What about his teaching make, doesn't make sense to me? Why am I resistant to following the way of Jesus, which he has promised will bring us to life? Not only life here, but life to come. To explore what would it mean for you to turn around and begin to follow and incorporate Jesus' teaching into your life, even before you believe it. What would it mean for you to begin to step out and do what Jesus said and just see what happens? So my question is, what is one area? In Jesus' teaching that's challenging you, that's calling you to respond, that you want to actually make a difference in your life. Maybe it's love for an enemy. You know, as you think, I mean, that's a big one, right? It's a big one. Because we all have someone we don't want to love. Or people group we don't want to love. How will Jesus' teaching here affect the way you relate to a neighbor or a friend? How will you even interact around political discussions, around things like <coughs> immigration? Or, or how will you act about people that have a difference of opinion than you? What does it mean to love your enemy? Maybe Jesus is saying, I want some action here, friends. Could it be that you've been harboring thoughts about a woman or a man that are, well, inappropriate would be a kind way of putting it, wrong, lustful, or angry? And Jesus is saying, that's the thing. That's the, you know, when you're constantly going around and around and around, festering about what that person did to you, or your desire for them. Jesus is saying, that's where I'm calling you to take action today. I'm calling you to live my way. To ask for forgiveness and come and follow me. Maybe it's the fact that you realize that you really have placed a whole bunch of security in your money and your wealth. And Jesus is saying, friends, security and money will fail you. In fact, that's the road that leads to destruction. <laughs> that's not what the world tells you. The world tells you you're being wise. Jesus says you're being foolish. If you put security in money. Maybe it is that you really are a liar. <laughs> I say that with a smile because, man, aren't we all sometimes? When the teaching of Jesus says, let your yes be yes and your no be no, be truthful. When you have to start to actually be honest in your relationships that you haven't been honest. Maybe that's the area. Maybe it is in the area of giving. That you've been giving to be seen or giving to impress, or frankly not giving at all. And there's a challenge in here where Jesus says, man, lean into the kingdom. Lean into seeking my kingdom and giving appropriately and giving for the right reasons. Maybe it is judging others. You realize you carry around this deeply critical heart toward anyone around you who differs from you, who looks different than you, who says different things than you, who looks at you the wrong way or drives behind your son in a learner's vehicle. What is it? What's the one area that Jesus is calling you to take action in? 
You know, Jesus is inviting us to take action. He's inviting us onto this road because he loves us. That's the thing we've got to get clear here at the end. He's doing this because he wants the best for you. He wants you and I to experience his grace and his forgiveness and his life and his transformation because his road really is the road to life. As difficult as that narrow way is, we'll find as we fall into step with Jesus, the burden really is light, that his leadership really is kind and gentle, that he walks in this way with us. He picks us up when we fall down every single day, multiple times a day, and he helps us to be who he's created us to be. Following Jesus isn't about extending more moral effort, having more self-will. It's actually about just following in Jesus' steps, following into step with him and letting him lead us. Not creating insecurity or guilt, but rather just the opposite. You know, Jesus' call to choose here isn't about us attaining perfection or performing perfectly. It's actually just about us practicing intentionally. And people who practice mess up a lot. You know that, right? Over and over and over and over and over again. What if that was your daughter in the basement playing tuba? Would you shout down the stairs on the second day, Get it right or stop playing! Who would say that? (laughs) If you, parents, being evil, wouldn't shout down the stairs, that kind of thing, neither would Jesus, right? It's not about us performing perfectly. It's about us practicing intentionally. And man, kids on a tuba are music to the sound of Jesus' ears. Not yours, perhaps, but I had a sister who played saxophone. It was brutal. But Jesus is not calling us to perform perfectly. He's calling us to practice intentionally. Perfection is not the standard, not the measure. Simply stepping out in action is. And we discover as we do that we'll mess up again and again and again. And Jesus will forgive us again and again and again. We've received God's Holy Spirit who does this work in us. That as we practice in this way of Jesus, we walk after Jesus, we discover that he's doing a work in us that's enabling us to love our enemies. Enabling us to let go of resentment. Enabling us to judge more correctly. Enabling us to give more fully because this work of the Spirit is happening in us. He's equipped us for forgiveness and he calls us to keep walking his way. So the question is, are we going to choose? Are we going to walk? And as you walk out here today, in what particular area is Jesus saying, come on, come on, let's go. Thank you for listening. We hope today's teaching provided you with life-changing truth and valuable insight. We hope you've learned of some practical steps forward in your spiritual journey. Whether you're finding Jesus for the first time, or you have been following him for years. If you have been listening for a while, perhaps you're wondering how you can support the church financially. To find out, please go to ericksoncovenant.ca and click on the Donate tab. Thank you for being part of this journey with us. Every day we are seeking to help people to find and follow Jesus.